Yes, and by the way, you look good in your uh, your flight suit on Facebook. So congrats on uh, baby number two and retiring being a little bit farther away and yeah, <laughs> prepping prepping for your pending draft to go uh, go fight the Russians. So yeah. congrats on all of that. Yeah, I, I hope I don't get drafted. I'm going to need like at least eight weeks before I get drafted because that flight suit was a little snug. Uh, <laughs> I was wearing clothes under it, but it still was a little too tight. And I, like, I remember when I first got it, I went to um, the base supply and they're like, oh, like they measure you or whatever. And they're like, oh, like you have like the typical body type. So all the flight suits in your size are out. You can wait however many weeks, which means I had to keep wearing my like normal uniform. And you want to, when you're, when you're able to wear a flight suit, you want to wear a flight suit. It's like pajamas. It's they're great. Uh, (laughs) One piece pajamas, like a onesie. And uh, they're like, so you can wait however many weeks for us to order more, or you can just take these, you know, like two sizes, too big flight suits and wear them now. So I opted for the two sizes too big. My desert flight suits are actually my normal size, uh, but my green ones are a little too, were, were a little too big and they're always baggy on me and they were not baggy anymore. So I got to get back in the gym uh, just in case, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just in case we get a, a new draft and I got to go fit back into it. But yeah, uh, new baby on the way, baby number two. Uh, we did the genetic testing weeks ago so we've known for probably a month that it's a it's a boy so we're gonna have two boys and if you looked in the picture or oh, my son was wearing it says wingman coming and not a lot of people put two and two together that it meant that meant a boy and i was a little surprised I, not that women can't be wingman but like that was like the whole <laughs> I, honestly I, I kind of thought that i was like oh it says wingman so it, it's probably a son but then i was like well i don't know like i can see my wife looking at a shirt like that and just thinking it's cute and it's fine even if it's a girl so yeah i, I didn't know how that conversation played yeah. out or yeah out. and that's fair i would say that like one out of every five people asked what if it was a boy or a girl and the rest of them i would say 80 percent understood that it was a boy or just assumed it was a boy based on the the wingman coming soon uh, but yeah, we're we're excited. Uh, we've always wanted two kids, and now we have it. So I'm gonna go get snipped as soon as possible. You're as done soon as, I, too? as soon as I get the A, okay. Come on, man! You just, you just got a brand new house. You got to fill that thing up. No, not everybody want. Buddy wants five kids, man. <laughs> That's honestly having the one run around and be a menace. Like we were. When we when we first got the news we were having another one, we were just like, oh no. <laughs> like we were just getting we were just getting to the phase where like he can start doing stuff himself a little bit. And now mm-hmm. we're gonna start all over. So it'll yeah. be fun. Well, like I said, we we've all, we're always planning on two. And now they'll be about two and a half years apart, which is pretty good. And uh yeah, I'm done. I don't I don't want to be outnumbered. <laughs> no zone defense in the uh in the lane house, huh? Yeah, we play man to man here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> now we were looking back; it was really stupid. But we were like, "Man, we got four. Like, what's five? Like four or five? It's just at some point, it's just it's just one more." Man, yeah. that was dumb. Yeah. Like having a newborn, like be the fifth, and then then throwing him into the mix that made life super hard. Like a year because he didn't sleep. Our youngest yeah. didn't sleep like at all. Yeah, I'm really glad I decided to go back to school and then have another newborn. 
thrown in the mix. That's uh, <laughs> that's gonna go yep. well. Yep. Uh, I'm already up to my I'm already up to my ears and homework. So, well, you've kind of got the excuse now to never never have to get up with him, right? Because like, hey, I would love to help, but I've got work and school tomorrow. So yeah, I don't I don't think that's gonna fly. <laughs> Uh, so I'll try it. I mean, shooters got to shoot. Try it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> take your best shot and go with it, man. But yeah. So the one v one deep state family getting a little bit bigger. And if you want to follow us on Twitter and know all the announcements in our lives and uh, that sort of thing, hit us up. I'm at the rake, but the A is a four co-host as always at thomas black underscore 86 the show's twitter at ovo deep state this week we're going to start something we've been meaning to talk about we've been wanting to talk about from like the beginning of the podcast our first episode or second episode i guess was about uh what was going on in the loudon county school systems which is our local school districts both of us both of our kids, well, you currently have kids in the school system, but both of our youngest kids will be entering into that school system as well. We want to talk about CRT, the effects of CRT, how these school boards and parent conferences that end up in, into shouting matches. It's kind of become like a culture war hotspot. And we've been meaning to talk about it for a really long time. But so we're going to do a, a couple episodes of on education specifically. We might not do them all in a row or we might, we haven't really decided yet, but this will be episode one and what we will call the education series, the one V one deep state education series. And we just kind of wanted to go over our thoughts on CRT, what it kind of means to us, what the big issues are surrounding CRT, its effects on local school policy and the kind of reactions that we've been seeing for the last, I don't know, two years-ish? Something like that. Well, if anybody follows you on Twitter, they're going to know that this is like the therapy session because you've been, you're posting about it for like a week straight. And it's like, we need to let you talk this out on the couch, man. We need to, we need to get it all out. So, Yeah, uh, it's anytime i yeah for sure if you follow me on twitter anytime i see something crt related of a new school district uh banning certain teachings or books from their libraries i retweet it and you've been goading me into finally recording an episode so we're finally doing it <laughs> but yeah we just you know we've been like, like i said this has been pent up for a while literally since the beginning of the of the show one of our very first topics we wanted to talk about and other things just kept popping up but now we now we're doing it so off the top you're you're pretty well read on the subject i'm fairly well read on the subject but i just want to side note for listeners i have been doing nothing but homework for the last 3 weeks so i am out of practice out of out of the zeitgeist on what the current temperature is of, of this in society. So I'll be relying on Thomas to uh, give me some points that I can disagree with. (laughs) Uh, On which topic specifically about pulling books from libraries, about CRT, about Uh, let's just, let's just start with CRT because I think pulling books from libraries, there are uh, issues in Loudoun County that aren't CRT ish that are part of the conversation about, taking some books out that were sexually explicit. But for start, let's start with CRT. We'll talk about some of the school districts that are banning CRT ish adjacent stuff. 
and then we can talk about what's happening specifically in Loudoun County. Yeah, no, I feel like every time I see headlines, though, it's it's so from what I've read about CRT and, and from like both kind of more modern day scholars, um, like even Rex Kendi being like more and more prominent, popular one, wrote the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, um, which is kind of, I think, what we got most popular for recently, at least. You know, he's kind of a big CRT guy. And then probably over the last hundred years or so, you've got different scholars doing critical theory or the subset of that, which is CRT, critical race theory. But most of the problems I see in the news, they seem to not actually fit into that CRT mode of thinking or that that CRT lens of analyzing society, right? Most of what I see, especially in Loudoun County, is frustrations with like uh, diversity, equity, inclusion training that teachers are going through and the way um, just kind of kind of some of the statements that are made there, such as like punctuality being on time is is white, you know, and I'm like, that's not true. And also just lazy. I, th- I think they'd be much better to say, hey, we have a diverse county where people from all over the world are here. And you need to recognize that that's going to bring just different things we have to consider, such as Western people typically value being on time. South American, African, Asian, like they are more social people, they're more relational people, and it doesn't really, like time is not what governs their day-to-day activity nearly the way it is for Western culture. Sure. I think that, so I, I watched a an interesting video, but a guy was talking about like, it, it's kind of adjacent to this, tangential to this, but he was talking about like why white power, or not white, excuse me, not white power, white pride is not really a thing. And but but like black pride, Mexican pride, et cetera, et cetera, is a thing and not and not racist, right? Why is white pride racist and the other ones aren't basically? And to make a long story short, the thesis most is mostly that like it's there's no like shared white experience necessarily, but we have an it's an it's a shared American experience. Like we're all in this American culture, like you said, it's the West, Western. Western people culture, which is Western Europe, not necessarily America, but that's where we derive a lot of our uh, culture from. It's American. It's not white. Uh, the, the experience of a white person in California is not the same as a white person in Finland or Norway or Russia, uh, even though they're all white. When people say black pride, they don't mean African pride. They mean black American pride. There's a specific culture that you that I don't want to say unites, but kind of groups black people in America and where their ancestors, what their ancestors went through and what their, not even ancestors, their grandparents went through 60, 70 years ago. Uh, That's a shared experience. Mexican Americans, Mexicans in general, a shared experience. Like that's the, where the pride comes from is that, that those individual cultures, Back to your point of punctuality being white, I think that's a it's just a bad way of saying like uh, the Western American culture, as you said, values punctuality more than these other cultures. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. It's just a different culture. Like there even even among, quote unquote, white people like there's being on time, which is if I tell you to be there at eight, you'll be there at eight. And then there's like the more strict military version of like, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. There's, there's all kinds of, of that. So I agree with you. It's a long way of saying I agree with you, but I wanted to point out that like punctuality being white is just, they're using 
the language is is going they're talking past each other like oh it's, sure it's, right and and that's going to be a, a theme among this a lot i i have a feeling of but like so when i hear punctuality is white like to me i'm like oh i understand what they're saying it's just a bad way of saying it whereas i know when a lot of conservatives hear that they think that's racist like how can you like what what does that mean that it's white why does it what does the color of your skin have to do with punctuality yeah. uh i think a lot of maybe not a lot of it maybe i'm putting too much optimism into it but a lot of it is like when i hear when i hear something is white it's white culture it's that western culture that you're talking about so like in my head that automatically translates but for a lot of people it doesn't and i i like i can see where they have they could have an issue with it but like again it's also bad faith versus good faith steel manning that sort of thing right like if i if i hear oh punctuality is white or that some of these other like CRT diversity inclusion equity training stuff that they post on the internet, which is always the, the like the worst, the worst they can find. It's it's just a language issue. They're just using the wrong language, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like that's a significant thing. Like words have meaning, right? Like what words are, are essential in how we communicate, understand thought. Yes, it's communication, right? I I completely agree. But also, yeah. it's like, like I said, like. You you clearly understood it because you said it yourself where you're like, oh, they mean a Western culture values punctuality, not white people. And that's <laughs> like I said, that's that's basically what happens in my mind when I when I hear a lot of these things. I can't I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I saw I saw something that was like privilege there was like privilege bingo. And it was like a bunch of it was like a card mm-hmm. of all the privileges of like your both your parents are married and still together. Other stuff like that. But like I can see where People like my parents were married and we grew up poor and that sucked. That's not a privilege. But like then you look at the statistics. It's like if you come from a single parent household, you're much more likely to go to jail, not graduate college, you know, be in the below the poverty line, all that sort of things. It really is a privilege over the over the large group, but not for the individual. And it's kind of the same thing with what you're what we're talking about with the being punctual is white. If you operate in a white society, in a, in a, I don't mean white society, in a Western culture society, you need to learn to be punctual, even if your culture doesn't value it, because that's the only way. You're going to thrive. It, the, the, I mean, that, that kind of is the, the thesis of CRT, in my opinion, is like we live in a Western white culture. You have to play by their rules, whereas people are saying, why can't? Why can't we play by our rules also? Isn't this America, the land of the free? It, you know, anybody can succeed. But it's like we still we've had hundreds of years of this Western white culture influence how we do things. Right. And I think that pointing out the flaws is not necessarily a bad thing, even though people are quick to call certain things racist. It, it's a matter, again, a matter of communication. And I'm 100% steel manning their arguments and and giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're saying these things in good faith. But absolutely, there are race baiters and race trolls and certain anti-racists who are just doing it for a grift, right? When you When you are the most prominent person saying something is racist, even though it's probably not, you still get the spotlight shown on you and get followers and book deals and whatever, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And and this is where I wish like every policymaker though, would like be, be really careful around the subject and and, and me just being 
you know, a dude talking to a friend who's later going to have this message sold to, you know, thousands and thousands of people who listen to us um, because we're just that popular and enlightened. Um, like, it's important to... It's because of our charisma. It's because of our charisma, exactly. It's important to be specific, though, about, like, here's what my understanding of CRT is. And I would even say, like, my understanding is fair because CRT is not a canonized subject. Like, there's no canonization process to say this essay, this book, this philosophical worldview is definitely CRT, and here's why. Right? So, like, there's already a lot of mystery just because of the nature of the subject itself. But the big thing, like, with, with, with... with CRT, and I would just say this is my definition from what I've read and tried to understand. Yeah, CRT is a subset of critical theory, and critical theory is a way of critically analyzing societal norms, traditions, laws, institutions, systems, etc., just to make observations and ask questions, particularly about injustice and how it may permeate through those aforementioned societal structures and the consolidation and distribution of power. So when you start trying to talk about, well, who's privileged and who's not, I I think you're already starting to run away from the intent of CRT. The intent of CRT is just to analyze norms, traditions, structures, whatever, and say, hey, here's injustice that is born from that. Or here's a monopoly or duopoly on power that is born from that. So to my point like previously about um, punctuality about single parent, you know, two parent homes, all that. None of those have to do with justice. None of those have to do with power. So, so they wouldn't follow the basic intent of what CRT is trying to do. And that's why, to me, this whole thing would have been so much better, especially in Loudoun County, to say, listen, everybody knows we have a very, very diverse, uh, ethnically diverse county. And as such, our teachers need to be trained in what to expect because a child may have one way of doing things at home for the 16 hours throughout the house and then a very, very different way of trying to handle things or do things for these eight hours. And that could go anywhere from something as basic as punctuality to what would be considered respectful and disrespectful. But if you're punishing this child who doesn't realize that what they're doing or what they're saying might be considered disrespectful, a teacher needs to be equipped with that. And I think if they had done that and not labeled it black, white, even if some to me like Western norms, non-Western norms, or just, you know, the, the way they're different, that would have been, I would, I would hope that would go over much better from anybody kind of, 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 of good faith, understanding what the intent is and how they're trying to get there. But when you start bringing in this, let's find out who the most privileged people are, one, I don't think that's CRT, and I don't know that that's particularly helpful because, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it's I'm, I, we look at people as individuals, and they can have all the privilege cards stacked in their favor, but you don't know significant details in their life that may make life much sure. more than the appearance, right? Yeah, I think, as with anything, trying to extrapolate somebody, like how much privilege, like trying to quantify how much privilege somebody has and extrapolate to them, extrapolate that to on an individual level, like their success, why they're successful or why they're not successful. You're not going to get anywhere with that. Yeah. And here's, here's where I think that kind of, again, I'm not a critical race theory scholar. And as I've said, I've, I'm a little rusty on the subject. I haven't read about it in a, in a while, but my understanding is critical race theory is looking at the systems that have been put in place for hundreds of years in this country and trying to explain what we like the outcomes we see 
through a racial lens. Like, does the fact that more black men get locked up in America than their white counterparts for similar crimes, like, is that... That, that that like if you just look at that fact, you're like, oh, it's a racist justice system. But CRT actually is like looking more critically, critical race theory, looking at that and saying, what what is happening here? What is the exact mechanism of why we're seeing these outcomes? Right. I don't think that they're trying to teach that in in elementary school or middle school or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like that's I, I agree with you on that. But people look at CRT, people learn about CRT and whether it's a good explanation or not for the outcomes that we see the disparities that we're seeing between minorities and their white counterparts in America, not just prisons, but like, you know, minorities earn less minorities have uh, a less uh, life expectancy, lower life expectancy, stuff like that. Like why, 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 why that's what CRT is trying to answer. Right. So then people gets, they get some answers that they think is the correct answer. And that's where we get the diversion, diversity, inclusion and equity, kind of branch of this and they want to start it early. You want to start it, you know, I don't necessarily know. Again, I don't, I'm on the CRT isn't being taught in schools, but the effects of CRT on some teachers and some school districts are, they are trying to address these things like, okay, in cultures outside of the West, uh, punctuality isn't valued. So how do we, how do we adjust the way we respond to cultural norms for us that aren't cultural norms for others? And mm-hmm. I personally, to an extent, do believe like in assimilation, like you need to assimilate somewhat. Sure. You can't you can't keep all your cultural norms, but live in a place that doesn't that is incompatible with them. Being punctual to school, like being late to class repeatedly. And it's like the student's fault as opposed to like, Oh, the parents are late. The parents have a broke down car that breaks down all the time. That sort of thing, which also is, you know, a part of this poverty, but, but just being like, Oh, the student, that specific student doesn't value punctuality. The parents are dropping them off or giving them plenty of time to get to school. And they're still late. That sort of thing can be addressed, but like understanding that, okay, this person's from uh, his, his family's from Spain where, they, you know, dinner and dinner in Spain is like 9 p.m., 10 o'clock. You stay up late. Mm-hmm. You're not good. You know, that student is not going to be necessarily good in the morning because of how his culture at home is. This is all just made up uh, off the top of my head. But like, you know, understanding, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like making teachers aware, like, OK, you don't necessarily have to punish this kid over and over again for something that is I don't want to say out of his control, out of their control, but like is not, they don't see it as a problem. Like you see it as a problem and you're never going to teach somebody a lesson on that. Like it's kind of like AA, right? The first, the first step is admitting you have a problem. If they don't understand it's a problem and you're not conveying in a understanding way, like, okay, I understand that you guys stay up late uh, and you're going to be, you're going to be a little, uh, a little yep. slow in the morning. Like how can we, what are ways we can, mitigate that. Maybe, maybe you allow them to come in late or miss the first period and they stay an hour later and do study hall or something like, I think, I think being more understanding and flexible is, is the end goal, not necessarily trying to equalize everybody or treat everybody. Like I understand treating everybody the same, but if you don't see that certain people are not going to thrive being treated the same way, that's what equity is, right? Like equity is, 
is not equality. Equality is you treat everybody the same way, but not everybody responds the same way to the same stimulus mm-hmm. based on what we've been talking about. These, these cultural norms, these upbringings, whatever. So that's my opinion on that subject, even though it was very long winded. No, no. And for a lot of it, I agree. Cause I think, I think again, if, if I'm going to give a benefit of the doubt to at least our school board um, and what I've seen specifically with, what would probably incorrectly be, be broad brush called CRT. I think it's fair to say what the intent was is to try to contextualize the life of, of the students that are being taught. Like understand that, you know, 55, 60% of your students may be non-Western, you know, and with that, understand what that means in a day-to-day sense. Here are just the, the normative cultural things that are different that they have that we don't. Here, here's why I think some confusion gets brought in is a lot of times, one, most of the diversity, equity, inclusion training that our teachers are getting is, is not diverse. Like they're, they're coming from a single source or a few sources with a very similar worldview, which I think is, I think it's a fair criticism to say this is like a concern that some parents have, and this is where they say some things might trickle into the classroom that they're worried about. Because, of course, the intent of teacher training is to have training be put into action. So when they crudely and incorrectly do things like, you know, punctuality is white, two-parent homes are white, or things like that, that, that kind of raises some, some flags. And, of course, a lot of the DEI training programs you know, they're going to have either well-known CRT uh, professors and scholars, either speak at events they have, train them, um, they'll publish material. Like, they're going to do CRT-type stuff, but that doesn't mean everything Everything they do is CRT. But right. I think it blurries the, the line between, again, what is CRT and what's not CRT at all. It's just, like, DEI out there. Kind of on the other side, which is, is probably a little more frustrating for me, is when you have governors and state legislatures or even, you know, uh, Congress members talking about ban CRT. Well, the problem is if you're an American who, who has several racist experiences um, against you or your parents have even more and your grandparents have even more, you can clearly see the necessity of critically analyzing just different norms and structures and statutes and all these things to say, Hey, there may be some things that we're doing now that we're actually intentionally racist or that is having an outcome that is, is disproportionately and poorly affecting other people. Like we need to look at this. We need to have this skill set. And then when the response is ban CRT, like I could understand why somebody who is being governed by somebody who wants to ban a critical framework or or teaching students the disciplines of critically analyzing um, normative behaviors and thoughts and ways of doing things, get frustrated by that. And that's why, again, I wish there was greater nuance at the local level of, you know, what we're trying to do and even at the, the higher levels of government to say, nope, I'm not against this. I'm against these specific things. Um, And then there's just, I, th- I think the lack of clarity, and I'll put more of it on politicians at all levels because I think they should be leading this, and they should be leading in reason and careful speech and and careful engagement, and they're not. 
but I think, I think the lack of clear communication on this is creating confusion and confusing confusion uh, tends to present as anger and that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the, the underlying theme is like the communication of these issues is very poor. And then you have the, the grifters and the mouthpieces and the Twitter warriors who amplify that me included. Uh, <laughs> at, least, at least you own it, man. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's very obvious. Uh, yeah, I think the, I mean, the politicians don't help the, the irony being like, you want to ban CRT and that's coming from a place of ignorance because you haven't studied CRT. And so banning CRT is only going to make more people ignorant of what it really is. I think that critical thinking in general, you know, is severely lacking and doesn't get taught enough and like maybe at all in school, but the way we talk about white people with having privilege and stuff like if white people lose their quote unquote privilege and we live in a more equitable society, that equity has to come from the, this is ba- I don't want to say based on critical race theory. This is based on my un- understanding of critical race theory. If you were going to empower minorities, that power has to come from a white power base already, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is getting a little bit more meta, a little bit more zoomed out. So I'm going to put numbers on this just to illustrate, but I don't mess. I don't mean any, these, these are made up numbers and nothing. If white people control 90% of the power in America and minorities, 10% to get to, to equality, to equity, let's say 50, 50, just as a nice round number, that means white people have to lose 40% of their power, right? Mm -hmm. To make everything equitable. There's no, there's going to be a large percentage of white Americans who are not going to want to give up that power, whether they, whether they actually have that power or it's just perceived power, they're not going to want to give that up willingly. And they might, I would say their counter, the counter to that would be, well, we don't really have that much power. We're not the, this isn't like the 1700s where only white landowning males have the power to vote, to do anything like everybody can vote. Everybody can, everybody has an equal opportunity, quote unquote, an equal opportunity for life, liberty and happiness. But when you're looking at through the lens of CRT and you're saying, okay, we live in a white power structure. The only way to solve that is you have to convince quote unquote white people who are in in that power structure, who are, taking advantage of that power structure, whether they recognize it or not, you have to get them on your side so that they're like, oh yeah, let's make things more equitable. Let's seed that 40% of power. Don't get hung up on the numbers. Those are completely made up. But that's how, that's what I feel like is like a lot of the backlash is from the anti-CRT is there is no, there is no white power structure. That it, you know, it's it's just the it's just the power. There's just the power structure, and I think that pro CRT is more like no. It's pretty clearly a white power structure when you look at all these outcomes of minorities in in said structure, right? Mm-hmm. I, I the cynic the cynical side of me is saying it is saying the reaction of the alt right or the right wing anti CRT folks 
is there it's the back it's the backlash of seeding that power of course they don't want to cede that power of course they're going to fight against it but i do see the other side of like okay they legit there are people who legitimately believe and with good reason that it's just the power structure it's not a white power structure right anybody can succeed there are minorities who succeed in the power structure that's not disputed there are black billionaires there are asian billionaires there are whatever uh, so clearly some can succeed now. Now I don't know whether those people are succeeding because of the power structure or in spite of the power structure, kind of like what we were saying, like, are they playing the game by those Western culture rules or are they just, or are they able to make their own way using their own cultures and norms? Uh, I would assume it's the, the former and not the latter. Yeah, there was a, uh, Gosh, I can't remember his name, but it is about a year or so ago um, when I read his paper. But he was a uh, a professor at a seminary in North Carolina. And in the example he gave to your point was basically saying, if I take a third of my class and tell them a year in advance that we're going to have a marathon, and then I take another third and tell them six months in advance, and then I take another third and tell them a week in advance. I mean, yeah, you might see that guy in the last group uh, win the marathon just because he had been running the whole time with or without a marathon going on. And he just so happens to win, but the outliers shouldn't disprove the rule. What you're going to see is those who have a longer history of being a longer time of being able to prepare will by and large do better um, than those who had less time. Right. And this is where like, I think it's important to note that at least until recently, most CRT scholarship didn't really attempt to provide solutions. They, they asked questions. They made observations. And sure. I think it's helpful. Because, uh, and again, I think it was David French. I could be wrong on that, but he just made the observation recently. Like racist policies can create racist institutions that were created by racist people that non-racist people inherit and maintain for non-racist reasons. Um, it's yeah. just you lose the intent, you lose the purpose behind it. Sometimes it, it, it's just, you know, becomes so much normative in, in society and other times it's. Yeah. And I think I think in, in my understanding of CRT is like that's the main critique, right, is that you don't have to be racist to have a racist system like it can just carry on like it does. There, the, there are no law like there are no Jim Crow laws. We can, I mean, there are people who would argue that with me, but like we got rid of Jim Crow laws however many years ago. There are no, and there are no blatantly racist laws anymore like there were. However, there are inherently racist laws that aren't necessarily written to be that, you know, you on first glance doesn't seem racist, but it's like, okay, if you, if you can't pay for, for instance, this isn't probably not the best example, but the only one I can think of off the top of my head. You got to in Virginia, you have to get your car uh, registered every year. You got to get a an emissions test and get the sticker or whatever. That all costs money. That's not free. If you're on the poorer end and you're driving a car around that is out of date, you can get pulled over for that and get a get a fine. Get your you know eventually your license taken away, and then now you can't get to work. Now you can't get to a job. We know that minorities are poor on average based on whatever system we're in. That affects them way more than it affects a middle income family, you know, that is living in the system. And on like in a parallel of that is like maybe their car doesn't even pass the emissions test. And like this is coming from somebody who's like 
believes in climate change and that like I, you know, in general, the emissions testing is good because car pollution. But that being said, like if the state mandates that, then that basically should be free. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be forcing people to pay for that. And it's the same kind of thing with voter ID laws. If you have to make somebody take time out of their day to go to a DMV and pay money to obtain an ID in order to vote, like that's not really giving people the right to vote. You're, you're putting obstacles in their way. Uh, I think that all kind of that all kind of uh, bands together. But there are like there are other better examples. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. But but that was the just best I can do. The, no, I'm with you. But like I think even to stick on like our, our general theme of education. To me, again, this is just my probably very imperfect understanding of what an example of what CRT would attempt to do is it would ask the question, why are a disproportionate, significantly disproportionate number of minority neighborhoods forced to go to failing schools that have been failing for years with different leadership and different amounts of money put in? And then you start asking questions. How did we get here? Right. You know, and you make observations what led us to this point? You would never, never intend to say, here's the solution. Although, again, modern CRT scholarship starts to do that, and, and they do it in ways that I think are unhelpful and also not just. But the point would be, you would look at these things along race lines, because it's a critical race theory. You're looking at things from a racial yes. perspective, and you would say, why is it this way? And let me look back at history and just make observations of different variables that have brought us to this point. And to me, that's helpful. I mean, I think it's good if you if, if justice is your aim from a government standpoint, from a public policy standpoint to say, oh, these are really good questions. Those are pretty relevant observations. And now let public policy take those observations and questions. Uh, I'm sorry, let um, state legislators and, and congressmen and governors, et cetera, take those observations, look at those questions, say, hey, what if we did this instead? Right. And, and, and you start to, again, it's just a critical way of saying, OK, I'm not just going to trust everything and I'm not just going to do something because that's how we've always done it. I'm looking at the why behind it, because these different disparate results happen yeah. um, as a result of these. So, yeah, I, but when you muddy the water so much with white, black, um, yes. <laughs> like all the silly yeah. stuff. It's, gosh, it's such a it's, I think it does a significant injustice to some of the good things that could result from maybe a better understanding of CRT. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that the white black thing is just everything always gets boiled down and distilled. And that's, that's just like the like primal thought, like quick thought without serious thinking. Like I, I empathize with, you know, African-Americans and their, their history of what they've been through in this country. And I can understand why they could see, white people as evil or oppressive or colonists or whatnot, even if that language doesn't help fix the problem. I like, I get it on a basic level of why they would feel that way. But on the flip side, I definitely agree that the inflammatory that's it, it, it inflames the situation and it's not bringing anybody closer to a solution. And it, it's making you give the, the grifters and the idiot politicians like Ted Cruz ammo to criticize the movement, right? It's, it's always the, the loudest, not the smartest, right? It's not the people who are putting out, you know, treatises on CRT in America and what that means. It's the people who are firing off tweets that are getting signal boosted. Right. 
it's easier to digest 240 characters instead of, you know, pages upon pages or, or books about this issue. Yeah. And, and that's why I think, I mean, and it's probably going to sound like I'm like a huge proponent of CRT or, uh, you know, an advocate or an apologist. <laughs> yeah, that's not it at all. I just, I'm, I'm trying to say, okay, there's the limited things I've been able to find that are not sensational. Um, but it's just very matter of fact, here's what it's attempting to do. Don't match the rhetoric. And again, I can understand for, you know, anybody who would say like, man, I think there are some legacy injustices that aren't being addressed. Why it would be hurtful to have your representatives basically say, we're never going to talk about this. And in fact, we're going to make it illegal to discuss in an academic setting. Like I just, mm. I don't know, it, that, that, that bothers me. That just bothers me. Right. Um, you know, cause I think if you talk about it more, you can, you can even go back and like, yes, like it derives from critical theory. And yes, critical theory was started by Marxists coming out of the, you know, <laughs> the revolution and everything. Their whole purpose for the revolution to succeed had to find dozens and dozens and dozens of injustices to justify, you know, the, the, the communist revolution and Russia. Right. But yeah, it doesn't mean everything is wrong about it. That doesn't mean every question is unfair and off limits. I think if you're going to go that route, People who label everything communist or Marxist, especially Marxist, never read what Marx wrote because the reason why his ideas took hold in a lot of places was because he was right on certain things. He might not have been right on everything or the the correct course of action to correct those things, but he was pointing out stuff that was happening and it was widely popular. People took that and ran with it. And, it, you know, it wasn't some kind of grift like he li- li- Read, read uh, Das Capital. It's it's got some good points. That being said, born out of that, being re- you know derived out of that, is not a, a critique of critical theory. Like the, again, it's not nothing it's about critical bad. theory is right. The the only way critical theory is communist is in the sense that it democratizes critical thinking and questioning those in power above you. That's all it does. Like it's not. It, it has nothing to do with. It, it might be a tool that communists use to criticize capitalism, but it's also a tool to criticize communism. It's a tool to criticize anything. That's like that's what it is. So I think that, yeah, that that whole wing of critical race theory being Marxist or communist is silly. Yeah, well, I, I just think it to me, there's there's some academic inconsistency and intellectual inconsistency, because, again, if you're going to say um, any any academic thought or any philosophy born from people with really bad ideas or really significant flaws, we have to completely uh, just discourage and disenfranchise the whole academic study. I mean, like how many good documents, how many good things do you lose to include the declaration of independence, right? Like the people who wrote it can be both brilliant and incredibly blind or just evil in other aspects of their life. That doesn't mean everything they did was binary. I was going to say the Declaration of Independence is kind of critical theory about King George. It's funny, again, I think it's a fair critique when people say, like, well, CRT seeks to divide people between oppressed and oppressor. And to some degree, that's true. But that, again, that doesn't necessarily mean wrong because again our nation was born out of we're an oppressed people we have mm-hmm. injustices that are normative in our society and we can no longer live like that so yeah. it's, it's again it's just not inherently wrong 
But yeah, and we've spent a lot more time on this than I thought we would, but it was a good conversation. Um, but we got 10 more minutes. So I kind of do want to switch gears into banning CRT in schools or that sort of thing. I mean, I'm for not teaching CRT to elementary and middle school kids because they're not going to understand. They don't have the critical thinking skills to understand kind of what you, you've just explained or what we've talked about is like critical race theory is looking at the system and why things, why, why the outcomes are the way they are. Uh, it's hard to think that way when you're a second grader and learning how to write yeah. your letters. I don't think CRT is being taught in schools either. I think diversity, inclusion, and equity ideas and training are being taught to teachers and they are using some of those tools in the classroom. Sure. And anytime I see something stupid on a conservative Twitter about privilege bingo or uh, think about your whiteness or write down all the ways you're privileged, that sort of thing. I, I think those are few and far between. Like think of how many school Think how many schools there are and how many classrooms are in the schools. Like maybe 1% are taking the CRT, diversity, equity, and inclusion E type training and going overboard with it. And I'm not saying that there, there aren't cases where they are, aren't doing that. They should be called out and they should be remedied. But I think for the most part, like CRT isn't being taught in schools. I don't think CRT needs to be taught in schools. I think, again, as you've explained very succinctly something i have no idea how to do it's about looking at the system as a whole and figuring out how we got here and i think a main like the main piece for me of figuring out how we got here is to learn history you don't need to learn in second grade that the founding fathers a lot of them owned slavery or a lot of them owned slaves and were pro-slavery but by the time you're in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you probably should know that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. And by high school, you damn well should know that he was might be controversial. I don't, I'm trying to figure out a different way to say it. But he was he was having sexual relations with one of his slaves. And what that means for consent is a topic for another episode. Uh, but I would argue he was raping her. You should, by high school, you should know that. And that's not necessarily common knowledge. You should learn that Columbus tried to sail to the Indian uh, to the Indies and landed in the, in the West Indies and, you know, in, in middle school. And then by high school, you should find out that he was pretty horrific in the way he dealt with the locals and that he got brought back to Europe in chains. Like we don't learn that kind of stuff necessarily in school. I think, I think more explicit history needs to be taught. And my worry and a lot of the things I post about on Twitter is they are using this, they're using these critiques of CRT and of people calling white people oppressors and privileged and colonists. They're using that angst and anger and then flipping it and trying to, for lack of a better term, whitewash American history. And that's, I think that's the exact opposite thing we should be doing. I think that's not a remedy. I think, I think it makes people like, it makes people angrier to find out later in life whether that's out of high school or much later in life, like the actual truth, like like learning that that maybe some of these guys were not good dudes. They were bad dudes. And why is my university building named after Woodrow Wilson when he was an avowed racist? Even for his time, he was beyond the pale of racism, uh, that sort of thing. Like, I, I think that that that's what causes the reverse backlash. So that's my that's my little spiel on CRT in schools. Yeah, and, and 
Well, one, first thing I disagree with you on, uh, conservative Twitter doesn't have a monopoly on stupid, I can assure you. No, uh, of course not. Uh, but it's just – You just left out the liberal Twitter. I mean I'll be completely honest. I read more conservative Twitter than I read liberal Twitter because I'm looking to fight. So <laughs> I don't get the liberal stupid as much. But I do see it occasionally like when – you know when I see liberal Twitter is when a conservative Twitter person like retweets something stupid a liberal Twitter person says. That's when I see it, but it's not often. Like I don't I don't troll liberal Twitter. It's like people like echo chambers. I'm I'm the opposite. I don't want to go somewhere where I agree with everybody. I want to go somewhere where I can fight. Like I'm feisty. I want to argue on Twitter. I don't want to like pat people on the back on Twitter. So I read way more conservative Twitter than I read liberal Twitter. So that's, that's where that bias is coming from. It wasn't, it's unintentional that I left them out. It's not me protecting them by any means. Sure. It didn't. <laughs> no. no, but I think you, I mean, you bring it up with, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson and uh, Christopher Columbus stuff. To me, that's what's fascinating about history, right? Like you learn, like these aren't heroes. These aren't like, supernatural beings like these are very real people living in, yes. in the men of their times like yes <laughs> they have blind spots they have failures they have moments of brilliance they have like again they're as complex as anybody else now and to me that's what's fascinating about like looking at their life as a whole the good the bad and the ugly and then being able to say like hey the overall legacy of their life is positive even if they were equally blind in some very evil ways you know for you know for, you know for further time or whatnot and then yeah. you can also say like this guy was exceptionally wicked even among the like normative behaviors of their time yeah and to zoom out and make it more meta like bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things and it's but i think you got to teach you can't just lionize them and never speak about all sure. the, the bad stuff they did you need to put it in context if you're talking about the founding of america to fifth graders, it's okay to leave out some of that stuff. By the time they hit eighth grade, they need to know the different, like who was pro-slavery, why they're pro-slavery. Again, Woodrow Wilson was, there were plenty of racists in the 1910s. Woodrow Wilson, by all accounts, was more racist than the average racist. So there are, there's that context. And I don't like, again, you don't necessarily need to know that in eighth grade, but by 12th grade, you should know that you should know stuff like that. But I just like I think a lot of the stuff that conservative politicians say is like they were our founding fathers. We should you know, you don't it doesn't matter what else they did. They founded the country and they wrote the Declaration of Independence and they wrote the Constitution. And Thomas Jefferson's impact on this country is huge and undeniable. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't learn that he was a slave owner and had fathered multiple children with one of his slaves and didn't acknowledge any of them. Like that's something that you have to teach the complexities of these people to understand where we're at today. If you, if you, if you give Thomas Jefferson the credit for all men are created equal and then don't talk about him owning slaves at the same time. And that just juxtaposition, you're never going to be able to critically think about the world in my opinion. Well, I mean, I I can just say like, to me, it's even beyond that. You're, you're never going to personally grow from your study of history. Like one of the biggest takeaways for me in my undergrad, I got an undergrad in a, a, a religion and biblical studies is reading like, for instance, different people who are part of the Reformation. It's like, oh, from a, a you know, reformed background and tradition in Christianity, be like this person had really brilliant contributions and observations on theology. 
and they were incredibly blind about what we would call sin in this area of their life. Now, the reason that matters is because for me, it said, oh, these guys are brilliant and blind because of societal norms that that scripture would very clearly call sin. Where am I or how can I be on guard for things that I accept as true or good that may just be tradition and neither true nor good? So I think it's important to be able to like, look at Jefferson's life, for instance, to go back to the founding of America and say, isn't it interesting that he was writing William Wilberforce in Britain about the abolition of slavery and the marriage of abolition, and yet he owned hundreds of slaves? Like, <laughs> There's a complexity to his character that is both fascinating and should make us kind of be introspective in ourselves and say, hey, what are things going on around us and how do we avoid those same mistakes, both personally and as a society? Because, again, I think he was great. I'm appreciative of what he did for our country. And I would just say if it can happen to him and if it happened to George Washington, if it can happen to all these people that we idolize, can it just as easily happen to us? And do we want it to happen to us? And that, that's, you know, where I think, man, all this conversation, this is where we, well, I don't know if we'll disagree on this or not, but I would argue by like 11th to 12th grade, I would be totally okay with CRT being like an elective that you take. Um, again, teach it true, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like you would the good, the bad, and the ugly of the philosophical thought that went into the founding of America, you know, and the outcomes of, you know, for instance, you know, the compromise of 1808 and the constitution, like teach it all, but don't run from the conversation and let students engage in that critical activity. And don't just say, okay, where's CRT apply in America? Look at it. Hey, pick a culture in a different country to apply these CRT tactics to tell us what you find. Right. And I think that would be a way better course of action than the simplicity of ban CRT or indoctrinate with CRT. I mean, I think there's a, a much better solution that I wish, wish elected officials would jump onto. Yeah. Uh, elected officials doing the right thing <laughs> is, uh, that's a pipe dream. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to be critical race theory. I just think critical thought, critical theory, mm-hmm. learning how to ask questions and dig deeper is absolutely a skill that high schoolers should have. And it's, you know, severely lacking in our politicians today uh, a lot of the time, but that always comes back to, and I, I, I feel like I say it every episode. It's like the system of government we have breeds this, like being an activist politician and being, a, being a Ted Cruz, being a, um, who's uh who's a crazy house person. Ted Cruz is just the easiest one to pick on in this. Major Taylor Green, is that what you're thinking of? Sure. Her Gates, uh I I'm, not, I'm sure they're ones on the left. I know people AOC and and I don't like comparing AOC to MGT and Gates because they're on a whole nother level. But there are people who peddle in this for political clout, not mm-hmm. because they necessarily have critically thought about about these topics. Uh, they should listen to this episode, though. Yeah, I, I think we got a lot of stuff. We were talking pre-show about whether we were going to have enough stuff to talk about in the second episode of this series. But I think we left a lot of stuff out, uh, which is good. So now we'll have something to talk about and we'll figure out whether this will be our very next episode or if we're going to talk about some other big things that might be happening in the world at the time. But, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good conversation. I definitely 
I think we probably agreed a little too much, but that's because you're not necessarily a Republican. You're a uh, libertarian leaning conservative, I would say. But on the libertarian front, like I think the school board should handle most of this stuff. Uh, it's something we I was going to get into with mask mandates and whatnot. But in general, like I think the school board should handle it. And this will be well, this will be the segue into our next episode. But parents obviously should have a say, but parents can run for the school board. Parents can be a part of the parent teacher association and have their opinions heard. I don't think parents should be the ones picking which books their children read in school within reason. Because parents aren't trained in education and in teaching children. You are more than welcome to read a book with your child and explain some of the harder topics. But I don't think they should necessarily be the ones in charge. What do you feel like? I think this kind of goes more with um, what we were going to talk about as far as like libraries and stuff. But like, what are your feelings on leaving it up to school boards to make these decisions? Yeah, so I mean, I guess, you know, ultimately we have a school board for a reason. Um, And and I agree with the general rationale behind having a school board. And I agree that um, they are voted in and entrusted with the responsibility of making that decision. And if we don't like the decision as a uh, as a county, we change the people making it and uh, reverse course when we need to. Perhaps the only caveat I would have is that there is absolute transparency on what's being taught from, you know, from the school to the child. Uh, and, and that transparency exists with the parent and that the parent is allowed to be like, hey, I don't want my child to read this book. You know, can we have an alternative? Because I think parents know the peculiars, uh, peculiarities of the child and what could be potentially very harmful or what they just know their child's not emotionally or, or mentally mature enough for yet. Or it could just be, hey, this material would actually go and violate our personal ethics. And I think the schools would ultimately respect that, but that doesn't mean they have to change entire curriculums. It just means that for any of those type of reasons, the parents would have, and in this Virginia law, actually, that the parent has a final authority on that. Um, and I think for almost all of those situations, there can be reasonable accommodation made where it's not an undue burden on the teacher um, and it doesn't put the child in any sort of academic disadvantage because they didn't read this specific book. Yeah, I'm more okay with that if you're talking about individual children and whatever. I mean, parents should have the ultimate say what their child does or doesn't learn, I guess. I just mean, like, I don't want parents to be able to vote on school curriculum and guide stuff that way. I'm totally fine with, like, here's the book we're reading here are alternative books you can read that are kind of adjacent to the subject. You know, you're not going to be able to follow along in class, but like, here's what, you know, you'll have to do a book report or whatever, you know, answer these questions. Yeah. I'm totally fine with those kind of options. I just, I don't, whether the point of Glenn Youngkin's campaign was, was the former or the latter, you know, the cynical side of me is like these parents don't, especially in Loudoun County. It's not like they're educators. They're not trained in how to, in child development. I don't want them overruling what the school board, like I, I agree with you. Like if you want to change those things, we have school board elections, get voted the school board, rally other parents in your community to vote for certain people on the school board and then have at it. 
otherwise, like it should be just be your, you and your child. That's your guys' decision. You don't. You shouldn't have any influence on on the school board outside of that. Yeah, because I don't. At least at this point, I don't think there's been a particular issue with curriculum as a whole. It's been more like this book was assigned and it has these things that we don't want our child to read, be exposed to, whatever. Well, um, I think I th- I mean I think in Lon County. Yeah. Right. It like the CRT thing was mostly about the diversity, inclusion, and equity training the teachers were getting and not necessarily anything in the curriculum. But I think that they were upset about what that would do to the curriculum in the future. Yeah, and and, and I and, and to me, I, one, I think that is a valid concern. I don't think we've seen that yet. And I think the instances where we have, um, and I mean, I've got just several friends who are teachers in the public school system. They would say like that teacher broke the rules. Like they, they went against the training we receive um, when they assigned this book or when they gave an assignment with, with these kind of restrictions or these kind of rules uh, in place. So it's just the, the one-off hyper-activist teacher who's probably trying to uh, usurp a little bit too much authority in the classroom and they, they have a right to, but I do think it's, it's, I think it's fair to have concern about the intent of the training. Cause again, you're training teachers and the intent is to use that training. Well, of course they're going to use it in the classroom because that's where their professional uh, conduct is. But I think in the same way where if you had, for instance, ethics training being given to teachers and it was strictly given by the Catholic church, People would have a right to be upset with that. People would have a right to complain about that. And I know there's a church and state issue there that, that, that that's fair, but the point would be you have one communication channel feeding everything the teachers know about ethical conduct in the classroom, and it might not be consistent with you know personal beliefs of others. And I think because of the way the DEI training has been sometimes presented in ways we've already discussed you know, earlier in the show, they have a right to be concerned of, okay, how is this going to work its way in the classroom? Like, are you going to tell me that my child's an evil white kid because he thinks he should be on time for class? And, and, you know, we shouldn't spend a whole time chatting because that seems unfair and unkind to him. And again, I think that in, in, I think between that and the multiple, albeit incredibly small minority of instances where it happens is what raises concern for, for parents. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think it's a simple of like, oh, we're concerned. There's it's okay to be concerned. You should be a concerned parent generally all the time, uh, as I've learned. Uh it's mostly like what we saw at those Loudoun County board meetings, man. Like people were getting in fights and people were arrested over the hysteria of this stuff. It wasn't it went way beyond concern when nothing was being implemented that was necessarily out of the norm. It again, again, it's it's you should question everything. You should question what kind of training your the teachers are getting. That's your right as a parent. You should be interested in that sort of thing. But until you see like actual white people are the devil in our colonists and we should attack them, you know, sort of thing in these classrooms, like it, it went way went way beyond concern in my opinion. And that's why that's why like my criticism and my cynicism of that is you know, that's why I have that criticism and cynicism is because I've seen, I can't think of his name, Matt Walsh or something mm-hmm. like that, who's from Tennessee, who was here at the Loudoun County board meetings for some reason. 
Yeah, that yeah, that bothers me in general. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just rabble rousers and, and shit stirs. Yeah, no, that that frustrates me. But again, in Loudoun County, the um, and not that it, it excuses the conduct on either side of this. Um, it's funny because when I go, I always sit on the side that is more opposed to kind of how I see it. But I talk to them, and we get along great, and we have good conversation. Like. Everybody's cool on a personal level that I again yeah. when I've been there. I haven't been there in more recent meetings, but you know the the angst at the Loudoun County School Board meetings have come with the LGBTQ plus policy and uh, well policies I should say since technically there are, there are a couple different ones and what the school board called the DEI library, which was very much filled with sexually explicit content very graphic in nature in the way they describe different things. Um, at the time, I don't believe the plan was to mark those books off in a section of the library. So you could just have a kid that likes to read and then they check out a book. And, and now all of a sudden they've got some pretty graphic material that, you know, that there's no reasonable way to know is there. And then as I look more into the DEI stuff, it was just very um, indoctrinating. And let me caveat that. I say it's indoctrinating because, for instance, on all matters of immigration, it was always the people who are opposed to illegal immigration are, are the villains in the story. Now, they may already have in the As library existing. <laughs> there may already be um, books in the library existing that have people who, you know, fictional stories of people who oppose illegal immigration and they're the heroes. And, you know, if that already exists, that's fine because then you do have diversity of thought, even in your fiction writing. But that's not what I saw. So to me, it's just a huge misnomer of DEI when it seems like based off the content, the published content of the book from the school board was we're going to feed one specific view on a range of topics. And all of them would be in a broad broad stroke sense, anti-conservative, if you will, or anti-traditional. And I I think I guess you would have a problem with that. Like you don't want an indoctrinated society in a public education you want diversity of story thought yes but here's where i'll push back against your issues with D, the dei library uh and kind of wrap things up and we'll talk more about these issues in the next episode but the following thing i'll say about that is the dei library isn't necessarily so i i didn't go to these school board meetings you did my kid is not anywhere near their age range of being in school. So I'm not going to go to school board meetings until that happens. Um, But I've read about it and I've talked to you about it. If the DEI library's point is to put more viewpoints into the library for diversity of thought, I would agree with you. And I think that's where you're coming from. My understanding of the DEI library in general is to have more, a wider range of authors from diverse backgrounds, which in general means more minority authors, not our general what that are generally in the normal library, uh, more black American authors, more Asian American authors, more Indian American authors to get their specific viewpoints. I would assume that most of those Mexican American authors or South American Central American authors would write stories where immigration was the bad guys based on their uh, viewpoint and their cultural history dealing with that. I would assume there are, cult- we are a very prudish culture in America. <laughs> when I was in France, they sell magazines with naked ladies on the front of them, right next to the newspaper, right next to 
movie magazines and video like they don't look at sex the same way we do therefore a book by a french author might be what we would consider sexually explicit and not so much in france because they don't have a problem with that in france the flip side is we are way more comfortable with violence and killing things and war and destruction than a lot of our european counterparts are they don't watch a lot of violent media or read a lot of violent books uh, that's that's where I would. I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm. I think I'm. I'm disagreeing on the interpretation of what a DEI library should do, and therefore I'm more. Would I still want my kid to read a sexually explicit book just because it's from a diverse author? Maybe not, but I would be much more willing to have that conversation based on thinking that that's what the DEI library is trying to do. They're trying to expose kids. Obviously, if they have a porno or a romance novel that's full of sex in a elementary or middle school library. I, I agree with you. I probably have more problem with that. There's no cultural value to a, a uh, slutty romance novel. But as I'm saying, like something that is, is more coming from a culture that has more is more mature about sex than they are something else. Uh, I'm more fine with that, right? Like it's not, it's not necessarily the sexually explicit material. It's what the what 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 does that sexually explicit material mean to the overall story? Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree that's that's fair. But here's what I was saying. And again, I think the school board, if they're honest with themselves, would say they botched this. They heard the title of the library and they didn't look at the content of the books within it because you sure. had a parent get up and read directly from the book, and they told him to stop. It was inappropriate. Now, if it's inappropriate right. for a room full of adults certainly inappropriate for 16 year olds, almost certainly inappropriate for 16 year olds, I should say. But my point would be anytime you, and we'll get into this later, but you have mainly one realistic option and that's the single school you go to. And there's not diversity of thought um, being presented. That to me is a significant problem because that, that is, I mean, by definition indoctrination, and as we just talked about, we lack critical thinking and we lack the skills necessary to calmly, patiently hear somebody, process that information, analyze it, and then respond appropriately. And I think if we go into a singular thought on a variety of topics, you only exacerbate the problem and you fail to actually educate, you indoctrinate. Sure. I, we've gone, we're way over our normal one hour episode and I really do want to save stuff for the next episode. Uh, but I think this is an interesting final point uh, to talk about. If a white power structure is oppressing all minorities, but you go out and each minority may be completely different. I don't think people necessarily think Mexicans and, and um, Asians and Indian Americans, you know, have, similar cultures, mm-hmm. they might have similar viewpoints towards that white power structure that they've been struggling against or, or, you know, struggling to fit in to or whatever. So when you say diversity of thought, they might all have the same thought on this one particular topic, but it's still a diversity of thought. In my opinion, you're getting different viewpoints. It's just their opinions all kind of line up in a concentric circle. I, I think that there's, I think that there's, a little bit of that going on as well as like what you're worried about is not enough diversity of thought. Yeah. And I think if they laid it out like that, like if, if again, again, I think what you're saying is fair, but if they lay it out like, Hey, we're not going to 
necessarily sort the library by subject, but we're going to say, hey, if you want um, books written by French you know, authors, here's the French author section. And within that, you'll see them sorted by subject. If you want them written by LGBTQ members of you know, the U.S., here's that section. You know, and I think, because again, you're being honest about the perspective that you're being given, whether it's a fiction or nonfiction. Again, there's just great transparency in yep. here's the story I'm telling and here's the perspective I'm telling it from. So then if you want to look at, hey, I want to read a bunch of I want to read about immigration. I can go to again, hopefully in the library, there's like the traditional um, or more concern over illegal immigration. And you can read that book and then you can go read the, hey, I was forced to get here illegally because here's my situation back home. And you can read all that stuff. And hopefully there's greater sympathy and greater nuance and greater wisdom in the conclusions you reach. But there just has to be honesty in what you're trying to do. And I think some of my fear is there's not honesty because some people have very clear intentions of driving population to a particular thought. Sure. And I think it happens on both sides. And that's what that that to me, it would be my biggest sticking point of that's not OK. I want to caveat once again, everything I just said about this subject. I have I've not looked into the DEI library whatsoever and have only heard random bits here and there. Thomas is way more schooled on the subject than I am. Uh, that's just when I when I hear what a D when I hear DEI library, that's what in my mind what I think it should be. And that. I would expect things in a diverse, inclusive, and equitable library to have things that don't mesh with white Western sensibilities. That's literally the entire point. And that that includes sexually explicit stuff. Again, if the book is only about sex, that's one thing. If there is a sexually explicit scene in a book that brings context between two characters, that's another thing. But yeah, I think we'll we all way more to say about that in the next episode in, in education part two. But I think we've, we've pretty much nailed what we wanted to talk about for the most part in this first episode. And we have gone, as I said, way over what we, what we thought we would. And I had multiple things on here just in case we didn't reach an hour. And now I look like an idiot cause we're almost at an hour and a half. <laughs> so thank you for listening. We appreciate it as always. I know the release schedule has been weird. It's only going to get weirder. I am swamped with school. It is way harder than I thought it would be because I'm stupid. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So bear with us. We will put out on social media when we are releasing episodes. And I always put it in the discord when we drop episodes. So please join our discord. It's in the link below. Follow us on Twitter for notifications of when we will drop the show. I'm at the rake, but the A is a four at Thomas black underscore 86 at OVO deep state. Please follow us. Please join the Discord. Like, rate, subscribe, whatever you got to do to boost our signal. But yeah, that was episode one of the education series. We will probably do episode two and three consecutively, but we got some wiggle room in there. Let's see what happens with uh, this whole Russia-Ukraine thing over the next two weeks, uh, two-ish weeks. Uh, But yeah, as always, thanks, guys. We really appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thanks.